1: Hello blenders and welcome welcome to episode number 93 of Real Blend, a podcast that is taking things to the next level.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. My name is
1: John O'Connell and I am uh, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. Uh I want to point out off the bat that uh, that my audio and Kevin's audio might sound a little bit off this week, whereas Jake's will sound pristine uh, because Kevin and I are south of the border in Mexico uh, covering the Jumanji Junket, and we're um, we're both in our— individual hotel rooms uh, which is odd i can see kevin uh, right there even though he's near me yeah it's uh, a little like, strange not, not here
2: that i can <laughs> walk over and physically see sean right now but gabe yeah. has us and gabe rightfully so who does an amazing job producing our in show we have to be in separate rooms because of our audio so we are in cabo the in imaginary Lucas. gabe yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is a very funny. are we reading that review yeah, that's very funny. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, we're down here covering Jumanji. We'll get into more details about what that is later. Hope you two are having a episode. wonderful time. Yes. Well, listen. Hey, we wanted you to come.
3: It's sweet, dude.
1: It is sweet week. Uh, in this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing the Tom Hanks film, "A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood," and we have an interview with uh, the amazing. Jamie Lee Curtis, on behalf of her new movie, Knives Out. And the story behind how that interview came together is unbelievable. I'm going to let Kevin uh, set that up when we get to that point of the show. Uh, before that, let's get to the introductions, of course. And I'll start with Jake Hamilton, who sadly is not with us uh, on this trip. He's back home in Chicago, holding down the fort for Fox 32. Hello, Jake. How are yeah,
3: you? To quote uh, Jim Carrey and Bruce Almighty, not during sweeps week. <laughs> they couldn't, they couldn't go, couldn't go. But they go. had Boss you went. at a diehard bar. They had me. To, yeah, I did go to a diehard bar, and I, I, was, I, I thought of you. I thought of you. Well, I, because, and, uh, the fact because that I didn't it's hear basically anything the about thing. it
1: after. You I sent went, you a bunch
3: of pictures, but they didn't get through. that it's because um, you're in Mexico. No, they didn't.
1: They didn't go through. Oh, that's probably what it is. Well, the other voice that you will hear on this week's episode of Real Blend is Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C., who did something significant. Uh, oh. Today that he will tell you about He'll tell you about later, don't mention it now BDK We can't, we're gonna get into okay. that. hi Kevin
2: Hi Sean <laughs> I'm keeping it brief um, I, I, I honestly yes. wanted to do that Just to get Gabe's reaction, because normally I'll go on, <laughs> which I am right now Going on for another 30 or 40 seconds And Gabe's like, wrap it up So I was just like, hi Sean I don't even have time to say right. hi to Jake Can I say hi to Jake, Gabe, real yeah. quick? Hi Jake
3: I feel like the time that he didn't want you to take by going on over something, you just filled that exact time by talking about not going on over something.
1: Then let's get right into the show. This is episode number 93. Um, We are going to start off with the conversation of the weekly poll. So this is a poll that we put up on Fridays. You guys weigh in and then we discuss it in the most recent uh, show. And since we're going to discuss A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Tom Hanks, the question last week Jakey, this is right up your alley. How many Oscars should Tom Hanks have by now? So, Jake, I'll let you guess uh, what you think won after I give you the choices. The choices are two is plenty because he has Forrest Gump and Philadelphia. Right, back-to-back,
3: back-to-back. Back Remember me. how big of a deal it was when, I mean, I mean like, was it, he's the last major actor to win back-to-back to, back, back to back Oscars.
1: Uh, yes, that's true. I think that's true. Did, why do I think Christoph Waltz won twice? Not, 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 not?
3: back-to-back. I mean, for two Tarantino oh, movies,
1: but, and, but not back-to-back. Yeah, he won
2: for Bastards gotcha. and Django, but they were, I think they were three or four years apart, right, Jake? Or two or three years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a couple years apart, yeah.
1: All right, so first choice is two is plenty. Uh, second choice is three. And the third choice is four or more. Which one do you think? I is? think people
3: like Tom Hanks as much as I do, so I think they chose four or more. Ah, very good. Forty-eight percent. So
1: the other, the movie that we would at least throw out and say that he deserved, I think, anyway, uh, a nomination for that he did, uh, or a win for, is Castaway, and um, he did not win that year. But then, I mean, you can make an argument for saying that was his last nomination. Is it really okay? Uh, I revisited Castaway. I think Cast you can Away make an argument recently. for saving Prime
2: Ryan. I love Castaway. I didn't love it the first time I saw it because I was really young oh, and I was being immature movie. and with my friends we were like we saw it in a theater we were just goofing around the whole time and when I finally sat down and watched it as an adult like Castaway it that film should not work but because you have Zemeckis and Hanks it's like it's just amazing. It's such a great movie.
1: The scene the moment when he, you know, emerges with the huge beard and yeah. throws the spear through the fish is like that. It's such an incredible reveal. And I know we've said this on the show multiple times that Zemeckis was able to sort of go off and make uh, what lies beneath while he waited for Hanks to grow out that bit. Like imagine a studio giving a filmmaker that type of freedom. Yeah, that to was our shoot first half the movie.
2: That was our first uh, viewing of uh, of uh, Aquaman. It was amazing. You know, yeah, the, yeah it was it was incredible.
1: <laughs> kind of kind of did look just like him, Kevin. You know where I saw Castaway for the very first time? Where? Uh, at the up the Uptown Theater in Washington D.C. And oh, it's wow. a
2: very famous theater for anybody who's listening to our show that doesn't know the D.C. area. This they used to have it was a it was a Cinerama, right? I think it was three it was three projectors back in it the day. It was yes, and they and it was very a very famous theater that's still open today. I still go there not regularly, but if you go there, it feels like you're back in like old school cinemas you went to in the '90s or '80s. It's very very cool. Castaway is the first DVD I ever a, bought. Is it really? Yeah. Well,
1: do you know the other? okay? So do you know the other? We've mentioned all the films that he's been nominated for, except for mm-hmm. one. Do you know which one that he was nominated for that we haven't discussed yet? What
2: were well, the three we've mentioned so yes. far. Yes. Oh,
1: he got mentioned. He got nominated for Big.
2: Well, he he that was his first for nomination. Big, his first you know, a, one. And I under, I'd almost
1: argue he should have won that
2: underrated Tom Hanks movie, Money Pit. One of my favorite comedies of all time. It's a great. I movie. love that movie. Money love it's that. Tremendous.
1: Movie. <laughs> all right. So back to the poll. Four or more got forty-eight uh, percent. Two is plenty got 34% and then uh, 19% voted three. I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out um, with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because when we, all three of us saw it together in Toronto and when we came out of that screening, got into a screaming match, mainly me screaming uh, and the other guys telling me I was wrong, that Hanks um, would be contending in uh, best uh, Best Actor, that he would go lead. Because he's frickin' Tom Hanks. And I understand that the structure of the movie is such that it's not necessarily his film. Um, But we've seen category fraud, you know, over the years from the Oscars. And I just thought he would throw himself into lead to stay out of that supporting actor category. One one of Jack
3: Nicholson's three Oscars is for supporting.
1: Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying that it's bad about supporting. I think it's fine that he shows up in that, but I, you know, they're advertising that movie as come see Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Agreed. And it's not necessarily what that movie is, uh, to the point where you guys saw that Jeopardy clip. Oh my God. I,
3: I thought there, I legit thought there must be something wrong with their buttons. I was like, there had to be a malfunction where like their buttons didn't work. I, how did they not know who that was? I don't know.
1: Um, I, I've heard people sort of try to defend the contestants and saying that the monitor that they show the the video on is like far away from. But that don't kind you know that thing. there's
3: a movie coming? Like even my mom, who isn't a movie avid moviegoer, knows that there's a movie coming out on Friday where Tom Hanks plays Mister Rogers.
1: Yeah, so Gabe is saying we should explain what happened for people who didn't see it, and that's why we have a producer, because we're (laughs) so wrapped up in talking about the show. Thank you, Gabe. Uh, Essentially, there was a Jeopardy question where they showed Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and all three of the contestants completely whiffed on guessing who it was. Now, does he immerse himself in the role? Sure, I guess you could say that, but I mean, still, the marketing efforts of Sony to get uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood out there for the people— is such that they should know at this point that Tom Hanks was playing Mr.
3: But Rogers. But I'd argue that uh, this movie. was almost better for Sony because every news station in the country aired that clip where they yeah. couldn't guess. So that clip went a hundred times more viral than they, than they expected it to. Mm. It wasn't
1: calculated, though. No, everybody's <laughs> calculated. So when he asked them not to answer the, the questions, so they get more coverage. All right, Kevin, um, I want you to be able to throw to this week's uh, interview. We want to get right to it. It's Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, one of the stars of Ryan Johnson's new uh, whodunit film, Knives Out, incredible cast. Uh, and Kevin was out doing the junket uh, and then um, landed on this amazing opportunity. Kevin, tell everybody how this came to be because it's. Pretty mind blowing in that this just doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, well, this is this was crazy. So basically, we had booked Ryan Johnson uh, for our podcast, and he'll be a guest next week. If that's a spoiler, I apologize, but yeah, Ryan Johnson's going to be on our show next <laughs> week. Um, there you go. Uh, and uh, yeah, so when I we did Ryan Johnson the day before uh, the press junket for Knives Out, so I flew in Thursday. I did the premiere, and then the the day before, on Friday, there was a, an, an interview opportunity for the podcast, which Jeff from Cinema Blend came out and graciously recorded audio for, which was really cool because shout out to Jeff McCobb, who is the biggest Ryan Johnson fan I've ever met in my life. The guy knew everything about his history, his films. He was on his forums back in the day with Brick and Brothers Bloom. Um, so it was cool. that, And Jeff genuinely drove in over 45 minutes to an hour to get to the for, uh, hotel where we were at to actually do the interview. And we did it. And Ryan uh, had a great time. It was really, really nice. And you guys are going to hear the interview next week so the next day comes around and we're doing the press junket for Knives Out and this is like some of the most insane talent pairings I've seen in a long time it was Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis together Chris Evans and Ana de uh, Armas and you had Don Johnson there was I'm trying to remember all the rooms now off the top of my head there were so many interviews that took place that day Uh, Catherine Langford and uh, Jaden Martell and Ryan Johnson of course so I walk into Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis's room and as I walk in, I sit down and I tell them how much I love the film. And, I've, and at this point, I'd seen the film twice. And to me, it's arguably one of the greatest audience films I've ever seen in my life. And I have saw it at TIFF and I saw it at the premiere. And I've never seen an audience so, in a full-packed house, it's one of the most fun movies to watch with an audience because everyone's like screaming and, and, and laughing and trying to guess what's going on, the whodunit aspect of it. So Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, I tell her this and she says, have you met Ryan Johnson? I said, Actually, yeah, he was just on my our, our film podcast, Real Blend. And she got like super interested in, and I, I don't want to take her out of context, but she was very interested in the podcast. She seemed like she wanted to know more about it. Um, and at the end of the interview... Uh, they were wrapping me up, and I was like, "I have to go," because I only had two questions. Because by the time the frame, we only had four and a half minutes for the interview. She goes, "Oh my god, that's it!" She goes, "You need your own show," and she was. I was like, "Well, I, you know, I have a podcast with my friends, and you know, you should come on sometime." I said that jokingly, like, 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 in the sense of like, of course, I want Jamie Lee Curtis to come on our show, but there was nothing in sure, my mind. Throw that out. You throw it out in a way where you're like. Hey, you should be a guest sometime, right? Like, like, like it's one of those like. Yeah, ni- yeah. And then nicely, she goes, "Oh, of course." Like, and, and you don't know if that's truthful in the sense of like, I would not not, the, not that she would lie, but would it ever actually come to fruition? So in sure, the yeah. in the end of it, she literally shouted out to me, "Find my publicist, Heidi." And I was like, "Okay." So I leave the room. And Daniel Craig's sitting there the whole time. And Daniel Craig, by the way, I want to give him a shout-out because he was Daniel so Craig never so...
3: volunteered to come on the show.
2: I know. That's the funny part about it. Is he was sitting there the whole time, and I was like, eh? I was like,
3: you too? <laughs> he was like, eh. He goes, I have no time to die.
2: <laughs> he was like, no, no, no. Um, he said, I— he, Really? Yeah. Really? Um, but, <laughs> please, Like,
3: seriously. Like, why am I even on this show? Come on. Come on. Wait, what Jesus happened to Christ? What happened? Nothing. Once again, I'm, I'm—, I'm, I'm Dishing he had out no gold. time to podcast.
1: <laughs> Jake told a pun, and it went over like a lead balloon. Oh, that's okay. Okay, well,
2: I do. I do like. <laughs> it's becoming a thing now, where like if Jake gives a pun, we react. It's, so it's not. It's not. Yeah. Like, it's like, anyway, so um. Anyway, so Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't is, like
3: that. That's become a thing. I don't approve of that show tradition.
2: <laughs> um, so I go outside of the room and I walk out and Jamie Lee Curtis's publicist follows me out of the room and and, and says, When do you want to do this? I'm like, is she serious? She's like, Yes. So I had a 130 flight, and I said, Listen, I will stay here until the end of the day if she'll do it today. And cause because the other option was a possible phoner later on or a Skype interview later on, which I was worried about actually one happening and two, the logistics of it all. You know what I mean? Like it's always better to do things in person if we can. 10 minutes later, she meets me down the hallway where Ryan Johnson's room is and says, five o'clock you're in. I said, okay. Uh, I mean, that's, that's insane. You're saying Jamie Lee Curtis is going to sit down for a podcast interview with me at five o'clock at the end of her day, when she's been doing press nonstop, all day long. So uh, the interview you're about to hear happened primarily because Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. And and she made this happen. She told her publicist to make it happen. Anyway, so this is the interview. It happened because of Jamie Lee Curtis. So shout out to her. Shout out to her publicist, Heidi. Shout out to Lionsgate for making this happen. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely surreal. So Sean, can I toss to this myself? Or do you want you you, 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 to ultimately toss to it? You
1: just did, brother. Right, here, here's Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs>
2: Jamie Lee Curtis. Check it out. Well, thank you for joining the Real Blend Podcast. Thank you so much this for
4: having me. An
2: absolute honor. Um, I'm going to start thank off because we, we're a filmmaking podcast specifically, and you've worked with some of the greatest directors of all time. And you look at someone like John Carpenter, and you look at a director like Ryan Johnson. They're both phenomenal filmmakers. They I'm are. curious what you took from that set with Carpenter as an actor that you still use now today, a lesson that you learned on, the, on that Carpenter set that you still utilize now as an actor.
4: Huh. Look at you going deep diving at the end of a busy day. <laughs> um, hmm. You know, John was the first time I'd been in a movie. Yep. And it was a movie with a lot of, it, you know, it kind of had a pace to it and it kind of accelerated into a, a frenzy. And I remember w- kind of working out a system with him hmm. where I understood where we were because, of course, movies aren't filmed in... Um, linear order. In any, necessarily in linear order. Sometimes they are, but uh, low budget movie, never. And we worked out as sort of a, a, a literally a, an intensathon, kind of a numbered system throughout the script so that I could know kind of where he wanted it to be. Mm. And I think I sort of did it and went to him and said, Will you look at this and make sure that that's okay? I, the truth of the matter is, I. It was my first movie. We made it in 17 days. It was just fast and furious. Yeah. And so I had a lot to do. It was a beautiful character to play. I'm not sure there was much more than that that Mm. I got from John. The only word John really wanted was vulnerability. And that was something Mm. that I, at 19, I'm not sure I really understood. I'm not saying I had to look it up. But I mean, I, I didn't really know what he meant. And... Yet, of course, I saw the movie in a theater in a very satisfying screening in Hollywood where uh, Laurie has gotten the call from uh, uh, Linda across the street and she leaves the house and locks the door, puts the keys in her pocket and then goes across the street and there's that long... Sort of walk across the yeah. street, and then it's a steady cam shot on Lori, on her POV, on Lori. And it's just this slow sort of meandering. The music is coming in. The mm. wind is blowing. And there was a woman who stood up in the middle of the theater and screamed out loud <laughs> in Hollywood like,
0: Don't go in
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I realized in that moment that all of what John wanted to do mm. was get them on Lori's side, make a character that people wanted to take care of, who wanted and they wanted to protect her. Yeah And that's exactly what. Ultimately, what vulnerability meant to me. That's
2: incredible. You mentioned earlier when we were talking uh, in the junket about waiting a week to film those moments where you're waking up in Knives Out, and you were uh, not waiting, but it was, it was scheduled that way where you wouldn't film those moments until a week after. So you said you didn't go home; you just kind of well, stayed. Well, I mean,
4: I was living in Boston. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not at home. I'm not the star of this movie on any level. Mm. Knives Out. I am one of a cast of fifteen. And I couldn't say, oh, by the way, you have to schedule my <laughs> Linda waking up. Um, why do I have to wait a week? You know, it was just what the schedule was. I wasn't going to question it. It it meant I was basically staying in Boston in this hotel room. It, it happened to be right when Halloween was out. Oh, wow. It was, we shot from October till December last year. Oh, interesting. And so Halloween had just come out. And so, you know, I this obviously big hit movie out and it was a little complicated because if I walked around I would do nothing but take selfies all day long <laughs> so I was a little isolated hmm. and, but ultimately the uh, I waited around to do this one little shot of me uh, in bed waking up it's one up. of the best
2: scenes in the movie yeah, by the way funny, so it was worth it yeah
4: but what I'm saying is even even the little shot of um, uh, Christopher Plummer walking upstairs and you see Linda, and then you see Joni, and you see Christopher Plummer go up the stairs, which is a linking piece, Yeah, was another one where we didn't shoot that. There was like, I had four days off, and then I got dressed, went, and all (laughs) I had to do was basically lean out a door, and then go in and shut the door. Again, preceding that sleeping scene. Hmm. But that's just, these are the little linking pieces. It's like a puzzle piece. It was just a puzzle piece. Mm.
2: You know, I've been watching your movies all my life, and one of the beauties of the, the filmmakers you've worked with is the filmmaking is so amazing, and you, there's a shot in this movie that blows my mind, and I've seen it twice now. It's a shot when Anna, or Annex character, gets the news about the will, and there's a dolly shot of the camera sitting there still. As she walks out of the house, they pick up the camera, and it turns into this immersive anxiety, like, off-the-shoulder shot, which was jarring but perfectly enough where it immersed you in the anxiety of that moment for her. Um, that shot blew my mind. I'm curious, that this film or any movie you've ever worked in, was there like a camera movement that you remember going, oh my gosh, that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen? Well,
4: sure. Of course, it's going to go back to Halloween. You see, the last shot of the... So, Halloween was made very quickly um, in March of 1978.
2: But set in October. But it was set in October.
4: So, there was... Not a lot of foliage mm. on the trees. Certainly no dead foliage, and we didn't have a lot of money, so there was a big bag of leaves that they would throw out with a fan and then rake up and put it back in the back, but that's not it. So the the original scary house that we see from the beginning of the movie is the way the house actually looked in real life. Oh,
0: wow. So that
4: old kind of creepy house that Laurie and Tommy walk by and he says, you can't go in there. She goes, I'm just dropping keys. That, the way that house looks kind of creepy. That was the way the house really was. But in order to make it look like the house at the beginning of the movie, uh-huh. we, the filmmakers, the actors, the art department, everybody, whitewashed the house, painted the <laughs> house, hung curtains, put wallpaper up, furnished it. And then that night, they shot the opening shot. Which is the Steadicam? One of the going greatest the shots ever, right? Oh. But it was new at the time. Yeah. You know, this was the the technology was new, that uh, Steadicam was new, and I stayed outside and watched this tableau happen, where they would say they were rolling, but they started in the back. You know, they start in the kitchen where Deborah Hill who wrote the movie, she's the hand of the, with the little clown costume. I did not know that. That's Deborah's hand. Wow. And then it goes into the house. And then, because we also didn't have a lot of money for electronic equipment, we had a, just a few lights. And so there would be a, a grip or an electric standing there. The camera would pass by the light. Then they would go into another room and move it. And I watched the whole thing from <laughs> outside which was thrilling to watch, except when they would have to cut and there would be that groan of, oh, oh they didn't get it. Oh. And the reason I stayed around was at the end of that shot, we wrapped the movie Halloween and Dean Cundy gave me the slate that he used on the movie. Do you still have it? I do, of course I have it. Where do you
2: keep something like that? Uh, like in like all a- you
4: have to do is look back on my Instagram, David Gordon Green and I are holding it in the announcement picture from last year. I'll find it for you. Doug.
2: I will find you that. You keep
4: talking and I'll find it.
2: Um but you know going back to Knives Out in regards to this movie and what Ryan does really well with his script, it's airtight and it's a it's a script that really is brilliantly written. As an actor though, you know the ending. You know the the who done it aspect of, of it. What is the key to not giving any clue away in your performance that would trigger the audience to think a certain way? Because Ryan has a design very specifically. Yeah, do you,
4: you know what? There's nothing we could do. It's
2: just the director's uh. It's totally aspect. his okay.
4: world, and it's so tightly written.
2: Did you guess it when you read it? Before, it? before Well, I
4: go to the end. I'm one of those people. Oh! I know. Don't hate me. Well, well, you, I'm wait. looking at a camera like I'm on a camera. <laughs> last, you go to the me. last page? I do.
2: That's the first thing you do in a script?
4: No, I did on this one. Wow! Like ten pages in, I was like, "Okay, I (laughs) have
2: to." That's amazing. And
4: you know, what can I say?
2: You know, but when you watch the film with an audience, do you start to see people figuring it out in a way where, like, like when you watch it, no,
4: but they don't figure it out. They don't. I I didn't get it. Yeah. To meet one person in the in the sort of promotion of this movie, not one person walked in and said. I, picked, I put it together, Wow! not one person. Wow,
2: I haven't put it together.
4: Right, I don't think it's possible. No. I don't think anyone could.
2: It's actually great the second time when you can actually look for the clues. Right. It's almost and like Jordan Peele's Get right. Out. Right, like and you so start to see the
4: clues, yeah. but even then it, it would be hard.
2: You know, Ryan's one of my favorite filmmakers and I'm curious, since you've worked with all these great directors in your career, when you do work with a filmmaker for the first time, will you go out of your way to watch their filmography before you work with them if you haven't seen it already?
4: I didn't with Ryan.
2: So have you seen Brick and Looper? I
4: saw Brick when I was living in Boston while shooting. I saw Brick Looper, Brothers Grimm. Star- oh, I had seen Star Wars. Right. I had seen his Star Wars movie, but because that is this, you know, long heralded sure um, story line. I'm not going to get from that. I mean, I knew he was a great filmmaker from that, but I was not going to get from that his original brain.
2: Mm. What do you look for in the movies when you're watching them to help you work with the filmmaker? Oh,
4: I don't. You think I'm an intellectual. Well, you're a great actor. I'm, an, I'm a natural actor who really does very little um, cerebral work. Huh. I do a little bit in costuming or whatever. I'm not that person. Mm. I, I just show up. Mm. and try to tell the truth it's I'm a I'm it doesn't matter my method doesn't matter my methodology doesn't matter Ryan is a cinephile I am not that doesn't matter Ryan Mm. is an intellectual I am not doesn't matter I think you're an intellectual I'm not an intellectual I am not a cerebral person I'm an emotional intuitive person Mm. And, and I, it it's not saying I'm not a, um, um, an autodidact and someone who has learned much in her later life, mm. but I, I am not that person. And so, and I have worked with terrible directors, people who had very little uh, experience and made very few movies and a few bad ones in the very few they made. And it doesn't really matter to me mm. um, because it's not my job. I'm I'm lucky to have been able to be in a couple great movies. This is
2: something I've wanted to ask you for a while. I actually brought this up to you briefly in an interview one time, but I didn't have a longer form to bring this up. Um, When I was growing up, my parents were very interesting about what movies they let me watch as a kid. (laughs) Um, True lies, I'll never forget this, because when I was growing up, I begged my parents to watch it because I loved James Cameron after seeing Terminator 2 for the first time. They, they waited for the film to come out on VHS, and when it came out, they said, Kevin, we're gonna let you watch this entire film, except for this particular dance scene that Jamie Lee Curtis has. And I said, so I looked at my parents, and at the time I was too young to kind of have this realization, but I said to my mom, like, now that I'm looking back on I'm going, mom and dad, why was I allowed to watch all the violence? But that scene particularly was shielded from me. And I found it to be interesting because now I'm married, I don't have, a, I don't have any kids yet, you're, you have children. What do you think it grown children. What do you think it is though about the idea like I remember my mom and dad being very negative towards anything sexual on screen And
4: it was true lies?
2: It was true lies. True lies whatever movie it was they would never let me watch anything that had anything sexually well, in That
4: says a lot more about your parents.
2: Right. And and this is I love my parents more than anything but I I find that interesting. Why do you think that that was such a case where I could watch the R-rated violence but not watch that scene? Like do you agree with that as a parent?
4: you know i'm i'm a parent but a flawed parent and of course i i probably am contradictory hmm. um, i would i would i would say there's a reason that movies are rated and there uh, i remember i had a, a, a my, i remember i had i have a son and he liked video games and I remember the ratings on them. T
2: and M. T yeah. and
4: M. And, and there was a moment where he was playing, he was young and he was playing T games. And there was a moment where it was made clear to me that I, that was actually something not good for him because yeah. it, it was omnipotence. And omnipotence is not a healthy thing for a child, mm. to feel that the rules don't apply to them. Yeah. And so I tried, you know, that's hard to do as a parent, to take something back that you've given. That
2: you've already approved, kind of. Right, yeah, but yeah. you have
4: to learn to be able to say, I was wrong. Hmm. I have thought about it, and I've made a mistake here, and I'm going to rectify the mistake, and it's going to piss you off, and I'm sorry, it's <laughs> going to piss you off but it's the right thing to do. And that's an exaggerated thing, but there is something about showing children violence or showing children sexual situations that they are not sophisticated enough to really understand. Mm. And there's a reason why like uh, for instance, even this movie Knives Out we've saying, you know, it's a great movie It's great for Thanksgiving family weekend. But we were doing a thing yesterday and we said something about families and I was the one who went, um, not, it's not a family (laughs) movie. Not for
2: younger kids, yeah.
4: This is not, and then we had the discussion of how young. And Michael Shannon, brilliant, said double digits.
2: So 10 and up.
4: 10 and up because Mm. I did a movie called My Girl. (laughs) And in the movie My Girl... Macaulay Culkin, who at the time was the biggest movie star in the United States, Can't watch that is movie. swarmed by bees and dies. Yep. Now, I'm in the movie. It's a great little movie. It's beautifully directed. Howard Zeef, wonderful director, Columbia. You know, great movie. All of a sudden, it's starting to come out. I'm a marketing girl. I get to know all the marketing departments. I am very interested in marketing. I am a self-marketer. I'm deep. I wish somebody would just put me in a room and let me give opinions about marketing because I'm very marketing skewed. Mm. And I remember they sent me the poster. And it's Macaulay Culkin and Anna Klumsky laughing. And it says, my girl. And I wrote letters to the head of marketing, to the head of Columbia Pictures saying, you cannot release this movie without a warning to parents. And they were like, yeah, well, tough luck, honey. And I really went to bat, really went to bat saying, I have a five-year-old and this movie should not be seen Mm. by kids who have not understood what life and death means yeah. and that the issues of life and death are crucial to have been explored in your family before you see this movie. And I said that loud and clear. They did not listen to me. The movie was released and went on to make lots and lots of money. I wish which, they listened
2: to you. That movie devastated me. That was okay, too much for me as a kid. It's Way too, too much. much.
4: Yeah. So in that sense about omnipotence, about rules applying, about... ...about understanding that we as cr- creatures in artistic forms... ...be it a video game, a movie, a TV show... ...that there are things that are too sophisticated for children.
0: Yeah.
4: And I'm not demeaning children or saying they can't handle it... ...but it's the truth. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm, I, I think violence, the kind of... I, 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 I will tell you this. When I go out to talk about Halloween even when I was doing b- book tours for books for children, I would have people come, and often there would be Halloween fans who f- feel that they like have to buy the 1495 book <laughs> in order to get face time with me to really pull out the f- picture that they had from Halloween, which sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, depending on the bookseller. And they will stand there with their five-year-old kid and say to me, oh, my Bobby loves Halloween, oh. don't you Bobby? Yes, I do, I love it so much. And I look at them and say, Art, I have the meanest, <laughs> meanest JLC, <laughs> are you out of your fucking mind? Look, of you are the worst human being <laughs> on the planet that you would show your child Halloween. And so I have a kind of a strong opinion as you can tell, about when is correct and incorrect. Yeah. to expose a child to that stuff.
2: Thank you for answering that. I've always I was always curious to get your thoughts on that, especially as a mother. Um, you know, this movie truly blew me away and it's and you, you look at your career and I was mentioning all the great filmmakers you've worked with. Are there certain films that like just remain super special to you? Are there like do you, I know every one of them no, probably no, absolutely. has some are there particular ones I mean I know Halloween we talk about a lot, but is there one specifically or a couple specifically that you go, "You know what? I'm so damn proud I was just part oh, no, of those movie." Oh, no no question.
4: I mean, no question. You're gonna go to your top five because. Like, what's your
2: legacy in your mind? Like, what do you? You look back and you look at like no, I don't, I don't like your like them. your favorite movies.
4: You know, I, Halloween was astonishing. Um, uh, Trading Places yeah. is a really funny movie, beautifully made. I owe honestly, I owe. I think my 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 beyond horror film film career completely to John Landis because each of the movies from from that came after it came from John mm. um uh uh True Lies is a great movie you know and True Lies was according to Jim written for me and mm. so the freedom that I had in that movie to do what I do whatever that is that I do was he completely understood. And I I don't... I think there was only one moment in that movie where Jim was frustrated with me that I was not getting what he had written. Mm. And it was when she's posing in front of the mirror. Yes. And I just... Before she goes in
2: the room, right? Before she goes in the room with him.
4: the, the, The deconstruction, I knew. Oh, yeah. But he wanted... It took me a while to put on the character face that she was going to become in the room. Mm. I thought it would happen in the room. He wanted Mm. to see the physical transformation and then he wanted this sort of (laughs) moment. And I wasn't delivering it. And I remember he was frustrated because every time we had to redo it, we had to go put me back into because you know I've wet my hair down, I've ripped my clothes off. So you
2: use the flour for the, the flower water. Thing. Yeah.
4: So that I remember yeah. very very well. But beyond that, Jim, I'm not going to say left me alone, but he left me alone because mm. he hires people who he thinks can do the job, and clearly he'd written it for me. So that was very special. John Cleese wrote a fish called Wanda <sighs> for me. Yeah. Again, for me to do what I do, whatever that is. Again, there was not a lot of finding Wanda Gershwitz in in the directing. Mm. Charles Crichton really was directing the camera. Mm. John had written it. It was very clear what we were doing. And I just had to not laugh when Kevin Klein <laughs> did what he does. But beyond that, I just, do you know what I mean? So, mm. And these movies were you pivotal know, moments for, for me. You. Yeah. And, um, you know, Blue Steel was a movie that was very interesting for me. Uh, it was a challenge movie. It was incredibly, t- the Amir Mokri, who's the cinematographer, shot it in a way that I had never been in a movie before. Very tight lenses, mm. um, very interesting film. And clearly again, Catherine knew exactly what she wanted. And again, almost left me alone and I say, left me alone as if not to say that I was just omnipotent and doing whatever the fuck I wanted. It was, I was adhering to what she had written, but she hired me to be it. Mm. And clearly I knew what to do. Um, that movie was important to me uh, in that way. Uh, and then Freaky Friday was a movie that yeah. was not, I was, uh, somebody else was doing, and she had le- pulled out of the movie And there was a train that was moving. It was really a moving train. They were ready to shoot, and they were ready to go. And I was on a book tour, and I got the call on a Thursday, and I read it on Friday. I came back. I met um, Mark on Saturday, and I had my hair dyed red Sunday, and I worked Monday. Wow. And I had a 15-year-old and a 5-year-old at home. And that was a movie where I had to completely just, and it was, I'm playing two parts almost simultaneously. And I remember I just said, okay, well, I have no time to even think about this, so just don't think about it.
0: Mm.
4: And I've obviously, I've said this before, but there was two days in, I mean, very little rehearsal. We just sort of like run a couple lines. It was, and I remember we had two days in, and we had shot one day at the high school where she pulls up to school and there's the cute boy and there's that very funny scene. And then we shot the scene at the um, uh, where she's on the talk show where she's now the mother. But the, I mean, she is the mother, but she's the 15 year old right. inside the mother who's now <laughs> supposed to go on a talk show and be,
0: right. you it's know, like erudite
4: <laughs> and fabulous having written a book. And I, I asked the grips to to put uh, silicone and powder down on the floor so that the stage hand could literally push me, so that my feet would slide. Oh wow! You know, so that I, I ha- could that. lock up and then like be pushed out. Yeah. And I remember we did the scene, and I remember it, it made myself laugh out loud, <laughs> like when when they ask her a question and she's just sort of like <laughs> totally stunned. And the next day, Mark Waters came to me and he said, so the editor said to me that he thinks you're too big and that we need to, you know, bring it down. And I remember looking at him and I said, Mark, look, here's the deal. I am doing what my instinctual self would do in these scenes. Mm. And I'm making myself laugh doing it. Like, I think it's funny. And honestly, if you don't, then you should fire me and get somebody else and I'll happily go home. But I can't be worrying about it. Mm. I like, I can't even hear this from you because then I'm gonna be in my head. Yeah. And if I'm in my head, And I'm not in my body, which has been possessed. But like, if I can't just do what I'm going to do here, that's something you have to work out. You're the director. So you can say, Jamie, bring it down a little or whatever. Whatever it is, I can modulate. But I'm just giving you what I think is the way to go here. Mm. And if it's not the way to go here, if it's not funny to you, I understand. Mm. I'm I'm a replacement part if I'm not your replacement part that you want. And I'll tell you, he said, no, no, I do. I just, you know, and obviously there was a lot of chatter, which I don't want to know anything about.
2: Because it just takes you out of it, yeah. I just can't, I just can't
4: know it. And of course it turned out to be... Hilarious. Hilarious, and one of the great um, opportunities, and it may be my favorite thing I've ever done, because I had no time to think about anything. And it just became real for me. And when I was 15, I was 15. And When I was 45, I was 45. Hmm. So those kind of experiences, yeah. um, that was very special for me. And what
2: is does, as we end, what does this one do for you?
4: Well, and then there's Halloween yeah. um, 2018, yeah. which was unexpected. The last thing I thought I'd be doing. I was very happy to be doing what I was doing and living my life when David Gordon Green called. Hmm through my friend, Jake Gyllenhaal, who had just worked with him and-
2: Godson, yeah. Well, my godson. Yeah, I remember that story no, somewhere, I wasn't not. sure,
0: but yeah. It, well, no,
4: it's true, but yeah. I mean, it's not like it's written on paper sure. or anything. I didn't have to like prick my <laughs> finger with blood and then like touch his parents and be like, okay, <laughs> I'm his godmother or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I knew David a little bit. I know he had just directed Stronger. I I, I knew who he was, but again, I had seen George Washington, but, I. Uh, and he had just written such an amazing take on this sort of what happens to somebody 40 years later yeah. and he really honored the emotional aspects of it and it turned into this insane huge, movie huge. that was just so crazy great yeah and so unexpected out of the blue was that and then on the heels of in the middle of the promotion, Actually, the movie was just about to come out. I'd just gone to Europe to, to do the sort of world tour for Halloween when I was sent Knives Out. And all I had heard was Daniel Craig. And then there were a list of people who were, what they say, attached, mm. which usually means they've said they like it, but if the financing comes... Like, it's usually with a lot of caveats attached. And instead of attached, it said confirmed. And the person, I think the first person I saw who was confirmed was Michael Shannon.
2: Hmm. Now, for me, yeah. honestly- One of the best. It could have
4: just been Michael Shannon oh, yeah. and not even Daniel. If it had been this script and Michael Shannon, I would have said yes. Wow. Because he's Michael Shannon. Yeah, it takes And I don't get yeah. to be in a movie with Michael Shannon in something with quality and depth and interesting and humor and you know mystery and all the rest of it, and it you know it was before it was Mark it was Daniel, and so this was just this sort of, like, 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 are you kidding?
2: Yeah, it's an amazing
4: script. Like an amazing script <laughs> yeah. and great actors who, all of whom I like, Tony Collette. I mean, forget it. Yeah, and. You know, I just I went to Boston for two months. Had an amazing time.
2: Well, I'm glad you did, and I hope if we talk again, I think this will well, of be. A, we're a, definitely talk a mi- again. Uh, I mean, Meaning, I think this will be Are one of. Are we new, done?
4: Is that it? They did. They did wrap oh me. I, unfortunately,
2: I I obviously wrote like 17 questions, but we don't. I don't. The crew. I don't want to thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for taking the time at of all course. to my do pleasure. this. So thank you. Everybody in this room for staying later to do thank that. You. I really appreciate it.
4: Okay, so here. Oh, is this the photo? This was the photo. This was. Oh my. So that's the, that's the slate from the end of the And That is the original slate from the movie Halloween.
2: That is unreal.
4: That so where I have right house. now. Your house? That's so cool. Of course.
1: Kev, when you asked Daniel Craig if he wanted to be on, did he say, Doctor, no? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he said he had no time. That's no joke there. Sorry, that doesn't work. <laughs> that's Jake's yeah, that joke. Doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Was that Jake's joke? No time to die? That was Jake's. Joke. Oh, so I didn't even yes. hear Jake's joke. I've made the no time to jo- die joke before. I just forgot about that's that. that's fair. Yeah, I actually did not hear. Right, I three. did not hear Jake's joke. Actually, to be honest, why is that three, happening? Two. Every time Jake drops a pun, <laughs> no. like I don't hear it's it.
1: It's bad timing. It's yeah. bad timing
3: on his part. Okay, He's right. bad He's bad. I'm in Mexico.
1: Yeah, keep all that, Gabe. Please keep all that and use it in the show. Uh, obviously, we have to thank Lionsgate for uh, setting up that amazing interview with Jamie Lee Curtis. And also Jamie Lee Curtis, as Kevin said, for, um, for coming onto the show. Uh, go see Knives Out. It's literally, it, to me, it's not like an awards contender. It might get like a screenplay nomination. Kevin and I were talking about that the other night, about how um, it could potentially contend for that. But it's not an awards movie. It's just one of those movies where you go to the theater, you have a really great time. You see this amazing cast. Um, dive into a terrific screenplay and, uh, you know, Ryan going back to his roots of like um, Brick and Looper and Brothers Bloom and, and getting back to that type. But he writes some of the best dialogue and uh, that cast seemed to be having a ton of fun diving into that. So, all right, moving on to talking points. News of the week. And um, this is a headline that that Gabe put in for us because uh, in his opinion, this is the the most real blend headline that Cinema Blend has ever posted. Uh, this is an upcoming movie, and the headline says, Nicolas Cage to play Nicolas Cage in a movie where Nicolas Cage is desperate to work with Quentin Tarantino. Like, that is going to be a real movie. Nick Cage is going to play Nick Cage, who is playing Nick Cage, <laughs> and he wants to work with Quentin Tarantino. So I did a quick read of what this is. Now, I... I think I have the understanding of this is it's gonna be Nick pl- Nick Cage playing a nineties version of Nick Cage who is coming off of like a string of really bad film choices and wants to get into a Quentin Tarantino movie to resurrect his career. Maybe like um like a John Travolta esque way, you know, like my career's kind of in limbo, I need a resurrection, Quentin did this for John Travolta, now he's gonna do it for Nick Cage. But it's gonna be Nick Cage playing this version of Nick Cage. <laughs> trying to get into a Quentin Tarantino movie. Would it be a major... I, I'm on board.
2: Would it be a major, major missed opportunity if he doesn't do yeah. a face-off bit where he faces off himself, like he changes his face with himself and becomes Nick Cage?
1: I, that would make a lot that of sense. That needs to happen. Yes.
2: Like, I want I want yes. current Nick Cage and 90s Nick Cage on a table, switching faces. That needs to happen. Someone call John Woo right now.
3: Hold I on. gotta say, okay. though, this is the most excited I've been about a Nick Cage movie in a long time. So
1: it's it's called the unbearable weight of massive talent. The un,
3: <laughs> that's the, the real unbearable title.
1: Unbearable weight of massive talent. This, is this real? Is the working is this title real title of this, right?
3: That, now. That, that's what I tell myself every day when I look in the mirror.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it says, um, apparently, the actor will play the actor will talk to an egotistical '90s version of himself who tears him down for recent dumb choices. So, oh, he might like have like a, a Nick Cage personality that's talking to him as he's doing this. So he's, and it says...
2: He's basically rebooting adaptation.
1: A, yeah, kind of. It sounds a little bit like that. And it says, since the fictional Nick Cage becomes buried in debt, he resorts to make an appearance at the birthday party of a Mexican millionaire who is a massive fan of, of Nick Cage. After the pair bond... The CIA pulls Nick Cage aside to inform him that the billionaire is really the kingpin of a drug cartel and has kidnapped the daughter of a Mexican presidential nominee as well. <laughs> the con air actor is then recruited by the U.S. government to take the cartel down.
3: I, I mean, what more do you guys Someone want Someone was high when they came up with the idea for this movie. <laughs> That's like, I just picture like a couple, bunch of guys in a room going like, guys, what if like Nicolas Cage went to a birthday party? For a drug kingpin? Like, I just picture that that's where this story came from. And I'm here for it. I miss 90s I love that it Nick says, Cage.
2: I miss Face oh, yeah. Off, Con Air, The Rock. That was truly like his golden age. It really, it really was. I mean, it was that was the peak Nick Cage right there.
1: Well, so it sounds like we're getting this movie. Uh, he's reportedly getting a massive paycheck to star in it, uh, naturally. Um, but it sounds like it's going to be a hilarious love letter uh, to the lore of Nick Cage, that will reference movies such as Leaving Las Vegas, Face Off, and Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, we will obviously report on, on this Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. It's gotta have a Tarantino cameo in it too, right? Like Tarantino has to sort yeah. of show up. I think that would be amazing if he did that. My joke before the episode was what if Tarantino directs this movie and it becomes his 10th film? Like this is the 10th film that Tarantino puts out. Be it just amazing. becomes a huge meta commentary about like Tarantino's films, the 90s, Nick Cage. The two of them bringing down drug cartels. Come on. Everybody wants to see this happen.
3: I kind of really do. I get that we're like also kind of making fun of it, but I am so here for it. All right. I
1: was here for this next one, but we're kind of in limbo about what is happening here. So this morning uh, we wake up to news that Warner Brothers is moving forward with a sequel to Todd Phillips' film, The Joker. Or just Joker, sorry. And that, um, in more shocking news, Joaquin Phoenix uh, is going to be on board to participate. And I, I, I'm not shocked from this perspective. Any movie that makes a billion dollars is going to get consideration for um, another. Like, every studio is going to circle back around to the, the talent responsible for that movie and say, hey, what ca- what else can we do? Like, people responded to this. Uh, it, it's clearly not a movie set up to launch franchises. Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix said to us on this show, they have no intention of doing uh, a sequel, but, you know, a billion dollars changes a lot of minds. And before we even got a chance to record, that story was refuted, but not like wholeheartedly refuted, more just, hey, nothing's official yet. And that story about Todd Phillips uh, petitioning Warner Brothers to get all of these... Origin stories for other DC villains uh, is is erroneous, but um, I didn't get your guys' reactions to uh, the news that that they potentially might keep going forward uh, with Joker. I, I think, truthfully, I think it's a great idea. Do you guys disagree?
3: I'm I'm a little surprised that Phoenix would want to do another one. He's someone right. that that I picture. I mean, you could back up ten Brinks trucks, and I don't. It doesn't feel <laughs> like it would really matter to him. So it's sort of if it ends up happening and, and Phoenix comes back, it's his involvement that would excite me because I feel like it would really. It must really be a good idea, and he must really think that there's something for him to do. That being said. And I, I kind of asked this question earlier today, but I know everybody was sort of busy in, in the text thread. If a sequel happens, does that confirm that everything in the first movie happened? No. Because I know we've had this debate about what happens and what didn't. I don't think so. It's, 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 it's going to have to address what happened or what didn't
2: happen, right? Right. So I, I still don't think Murray gets killed at the end of Joker. Um, spoiler alert, I don't think that scene How does ever Murray even happens. Get um, I don't think anything. I, I don't think anything happens after Arkham Asylum, um, in the sense of I think it's all in his head. But then there, then there is no Batman.
3: What? What do you mean? There's no Batman just because
2: he doesn't go to if the he house? He doesn't go
3: on the show and say that line and kill Batman. All right. No, I'm sorry. If He doesn't go on the line and kill Murray. Then. That dude doesn't take that line that he just heard on TV and say right. it before he kills Thomas Wayne. But but why does that line have to be said for Batman to become Batman? Like just because just because Todd Phillips shows us a scene where Batman's parents get so killed. you you think it's just a coincidence that he made up this thing in his mind? See, so you're you're and, and this thing he made up in his you're m- caught on the line like you're caught on the idea that like the guy said the line
2: in real in in, in the story of Batman and killed Batman's parents. I'm saying that batman's parents were still killed in some way or form but it might not have been i don't think it
3: had to be tied to what joker did on murray's show but but if this whole thing's in his head why would it cut to this scene that has absolutely nothing to do with him right
1: yeah you wouldn't see that in his point of
3: view if it was something that was happening in his head like he wouldn't know about yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't like imagine this whole thing but then also imagine this one instance about the joker's an unreliable narrator
2: the joker's the narrator of that movie he can tell us whatever he wants well
1: I want to throw out one potential thing, though, that, that could derail whether this is even important. They could do—Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix could do another Joker movie that doesn't have to be, like, set in the days or or year immediately after what just happened. Like, they just did a standalone Joker movie. They could go 15 years ahead and do Joker as a, a massive Gotham kingpin, you know, and do— it's own little movie. That's not connected to anything. I think the beauty of, of these concept films is not trying to keep up a,
3: a narrative for multiple films. Um, you know, and this, I, I liked I, Gabe's idea. Gabe tweeted to us earlier today, the Joker in uh, once upon a, Oh no one flew in the cuckoo's nest. Why not? Right. Exactly. I, I'm so down for that. And I think if you present
1: that to Joaquin, you know, it's more interesting than we're just building a superhero franchise. Like, Okay, so he ripped off, you know, ripped off. He was he was inspired Umaging. by <laughs> sure yeah, taxi driver and king of comedy. So why not do you know some other classic films and drop the Joker into them? I don't think that it has. To, they don't, I don't think they have to approach this uh, the way that we. What view other Scorsese movies
3: do we want him sequel. to? Gangs of New York, La- La- Joker, Last and Temptation Gangs of, of Christ.
1: <laughs> you want to want you want to see Joker and Wolf of Wall Street? Come on,
2: <laughs> I and
1: Margot as hot as Harley.
2: I, per- I personally don't like this news, and here's why. Um, this comes down to business versus story, uh, in my opinion. Sure. And, I, and I understand Hollywood's a business. I totally get that. Um, but they were very adamant that this was a one-off, that this was not connected to Robert Pattinson's Batman whatsoever, that this was gonna, there was not going to be a sequel. Um, and I think when money is made like that, I don't know. It worries me because let's say they do go through with the Joker sequel, right? Was it made for the right reasons? Joker one was made for right. very specific reasons because Todd Phillips wanted to tell the story yeah. right. And I think um, you know films like Frozen two, for example. I look at that movie as very much a business decision, um, which I understand. But the, but did we need more story? And because the movie made a billion dollars, I think that that needs to be taken into account. How much of this decision? is genuinely based around Todd Phillips wanting to explore more Joker, or is it literally the studio going, please make another one. And then that's, right. and I don't want it to taint the first movie at all. And I think to Jake's point, and I'll i will take Jake's side, because I know Jake and I have very, uh, we have very different opinions on what happens in Joker. I, I, and I don't think the whole thing's a dream. For people who don't remember, I just said it's after the Arkham Asylum moment, uh, when he goes to get the papers from Brian Tyree Henry. I don't think he leaves from that point. Um, But that being said, I don't wanna know if it's right or wrong. (laughs) I actually don't wanna know the answer to that question. And I think, to Jake's point, they will have to address that unless they go down the route that Gabe was talking about and Jake was talking about with the cuckoo's nest element just dropping his character into different versions of the story. Remember, he could go back. We could go back to Joker's childhood. Maybe 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 we go back to his mom in the Dwayne mansion and then have, and, and uh, there's a plenty of things you do. that to me yeah. is interesting. I would actually think growing up, uh, but then Joaquin isn't really the star, right? See, I'm less interested in that. Yeah. I don't, I, I just don't, well, don't need another sequel. I get the business we're in, but I don't think it's, yeah. I, don't, I think it's a business decision, not a story decision. And that bothers me.
1: Well, I want to, I want to point out that nothing has been confirmed on this, obviously, but it just feels like once a movie crosses a billion dollars, uh, we're absolutely going to start hearing something else about uh, these two collaborating, especially, God forbid, if uh, Joaquin goes on and wins an Oscar uh, for it. And isn't this going to be fun to have him have to answer sequel questions on the uh, the Best Actor campaign trail? He's going to love that. Joaquin, baby, come on back on this show. We won't ask you that question. Maybe we'll ask you that question. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yes, we will. Probably have to ask you that question. All right. Um, let's explain really quickly why Kevin and I are in uh, Cabo San Lucas. Some people might have seen it on social media and um, talk briefly about some of the stuff that we got to do today. So we saw the movie. We saw Jumanji, uh, The Next Level, which explains the joke at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, On Tuesday night, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's Wednesday, correct? Um, And we can... Well, let's hold off on reacting to the movie. I, we were able to sort of tweet reactions to it, but we're not able to give a review. But it's so far off. It's coming out in December. We'll talk plenty more about Jumanji uh, before we get there. But one of the things that they did to, for us today were these activities um, that are tied to events in the movie. And they had these long suspension bridges over this massive uh, canyon in uh, Mexico City that we were able to drive ATVs over. Kevin, did you get to drive yours?
2: I drove mine. Yeah, I drove it over that massive bridge. Good. Yeah.
1: It was insane. It's, it's literally right out of um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Like, it reminded yeah. me. So it's a little more sturdy than that one, obviously. That's a good way
2: to put it. That's uh, what it felt like. You're right. Yeah, that is a <laughs> yeah, good way to put it. that's what it felt like.
1: Yeah. Then they gave us the option of either doing a zipline or a bungee jump. And the debate the entire time... Uh, heading to the mountain where we were going was who's going to do bungee jump, and there's just no way that I was going to do. It. Like, it's I, no way possible that I would be able to. And and I even got text messages from people who were saying like, dude, it's the safest. Possible scenario, like Sony doesn't want to kill off a journalist on a press junket. Like they're going to clearly make sure that it's as safe as physically possible. Um, but I'm, uh, oh, I'm old and and in a lot of pain all the time, so I was not going to bungee jump.
3: Yeah, but it could have stretched you out. It could have like loosened all yeah. of the joints,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, Sure. Or I could really mess myself up even
3: more. Either way. I just want to see what happens. Then my, <laughs> thank you. I
1: appreciate that. So I did zip line instead and it was pretty remarkable um, because it's just literally just, you're in a harness and you use this metallic, um, you know, hook to put over the, the zip line and then you go as, as fast as physically possible. Which one did one you do the Sean? To there was the multiple
2: zip lines. Did you go over the,
1: the whole thing? Like yeah, well, the last one that we did was the one that went underneath the two bridges. Oh, that's cool. And you got up to 40, 47 miles an hour. What? But, You're going 47? You go 47 miles an hour Jeez. on this tiny zip line. And dude, it was Scary. <laughs> so I start to do it and and I literally said to the guy, I was like, no, nah, no, no, I can't, I can't do this. I have a fear of heights anyway. I'm a I'm not good with heights. And um then I came back up and he's kind of like laughing and he's kind of like uh it's uh, yeah, it's okay. It's all right, that's all right, we'll find another person. And then I said, uh, you know what? I'm gonna let's let's go. You know, I'm I'm here, I did it, let's go. And uh and I did it. I went backwards, did the zip line backwards. And it's scary as hell. <laughs> and uh, I I did not make it all the way to the platform. And sure enough, you did so I got to the end and then I started to sort of backtrack, which you do. And you're wearing these thick gloves and they teach you to grab the zipline, and I did, and and then I did a mission impossible thing of <laughs> where I pulled myself up to the top and and then the last zipline was that forty seven mile per hour one that, that went underneath the bridges and it was uh That's crazy unbelievable.
3: And all we Please kept joking. Tell me you were humming the theme to yourself. Please uh, tell me you were like out of air, out of breath, going like, <laughs> duh. Of course I did.
1: No, the da. thing is, you don't, it's not like exertion. You're literally resting in the harness, right? Like it's it's doing all the work for you. Um, most of the people who do it are like pulling themselves up really hard on the thing, and you're not even supposed to do that. You're supposed to just sort of lay back there and and catch yourself. Um, but the thing that we kept joking was, uh, we're on this mountaintop in Mexico, zip lining with the ocean in the background, and we're like, you know what? Somebody made a Jumanji movie, and now we get to be in Cabo San Lucas doing zip lines, and doing what Kevin did. Kevin opted for the other, uh, tr- the other part of the trip, which Dude, was not I just zip watched your, your
3: your videos on your Instagram without saying what you did, and I like my stomach <laughs> churned just, like, watch it. I had to, like, put my phone down. I was like, oh, God, I can't.
1: Kevin, walk us through uh, bungee jumping in Mexico.
3: Well, this was insane. Uh, So
2: you did the ATV across the Jeff Bridges, right? Like, the the, the big... I did, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I did. It was awesome.
2: Yeah. The uh, bungee jumping was... This was a very weird thing for me because I've always wanted to skydive and I've always wanted to bungee jump. Those were like two of the things I've always wanted to do um, in my life and one, two major things I've wanted to do. So bungee jumping specifically, though, I've always found to be an interesting thing because that 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 initial drop and then that. When you like hit the bottom, I guess, and fly back up, that always kind of freaked me out. I wondered how that was going to feel when you when you I guess reflected back up to the towards the uh, gondolas. So anyways, so we're, we're 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 in the gondola, and you're 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 in this moment where you you have to make a decision because this guy is going to open up these two gigantic doors, and then on the count of three. You're gonna jump out on your own, um, and there's oh, you could have bailed out. Did anybody bail out? I, there was a reporter who I heard on the next group that got to the jumping moment, and on the count of three, he, he bailed back. And then one, I think one guy just didn't go through with that motion at whatsoever. I don't know who they were. I just heard people talking about right. that. So anyway, so that's awesome. So anyway, so you're on the you're on the gondola and you're you're all tied up, and they tell you that when you actually jump, you don't. Don't jump down, don't put your head down. Jump towards the bridge like Superman, like put your arms out and literally leap out of the gondola. Now, meanwhile, I'm holding on to a GoPro that's attached to my arm um, that I'm trying not to look at or imagine is there. And when they tell you to go, you literally go on three. And if you don't go on three, they're gonna reset your clock. And so the scariest moment, there's two scary moments. The scariest moment for me was once you get up to that ledge you're the one who has to push yourself to make that jump. There's nobody, nobody is pushing you. Nobody's going with you. You are just diving out of a gondola with 300 feet below you attached to a bungee jumping cord. And that to me was one of the most frightening things ever because you just have to go and you jump. And then once you're out there, you just free fall. The the scariest thing was, when you when you really hit like that moment where the cord catches you and you fly back up and then you're literally hanging dangling upside down as like the blood's rushing to your head and at that point i was Ugh. i was completely delirious like i was seeing double because at that point, you're... How was
3: that fun? No, it was amazing. That's it was a, it was amazing. Fun. But there is... Did it a, hurt? It, All the while, Sean's backward ass was like <laughs> ziplining, going like out like, of breath, pulling himself across the mountains of Cabo yeah, St. Lucas. It didn't, like Ethan Hunt. It,
2: it didn't hurt. It was just very strange.
1: All right. Well, we're going to have our interviews with the cast uh, on our various channels and we'll talk plenty more about Jumanji as we get to it. Uh, But that's why Kevin and I are in Cabo San Lucas. And right after this, we're running to a press conference um, with the cast. And so keep following along on our socials. We'll go back and watch on our socials and and check out some of the videos. Kevin, I'm sure, is going to post that amazing video of him holding the GoPro. It was pretty remarkable. Okay, I want to get to this week in movies. And I'm fairly convinced uh, at this point now that Gabe makes up titles. And includes them because the first three movies that are on this list, I've never heard of before in my life. And I I swear to God these movies do not exist. And he's doing this completely to just get us to say that we have not seen a movie. Because have either of you seen Citizen K.
2: No. Did they just drop off the last three letters of the title?
1: I don't understand.
2: Citizen Kane. That's what it sounds
1: like. Uh, how about um, when lambs become lions? I mean, not even seen it. Have you guys even heard of the movie When Lambs Become Lions?
2: Is this like a okay. se- is, this, a, is about- this is this a sequel to the Nicole Kidman movie Lion and Silence of the Lambs? Like, have they like combined the
1: stories? How about uh, shooting the mafia?
2: No. Anything. These are real, Nothing. these are real. Tumbleweeds. This, this is a joke. This is, these, these
1: are not yeah, he's these kidding. kidding, he's, he's this kidding. This is a bit, Gabe, yeah, yeah. okay, you're doing a it's bit?
2: It's a bit. It, the, it's be doing a he's bit. doing a bit All because right. every week I, we don't know the movies, what we're talking about. There's no way those are real.
1: I do know Mark Ruffalo is in this movie Dark Waters. Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen Dark Waters?
2: I have not. He was just, you're making it up. He was in DC recently. No, that, Dark Waters
1: is a real movie. That's a real movie. <laughs> I don't know what that movie is about though. I have no idea. It's about fracking? <laughs> Why do I think it's like some sort of environmental It's about water water that has
3: poisonous elements in it. dark, I think. I think it's Dark, All right. yeah. All right, uh, 21 bridges. It's <laughs> dark water.
1: Has anyone seen 21 bridges? Kevin, you saw 21 bridges. I saw bridges, 21 right?
3: bridges. I still don't know why it's called 21 uh, bridges, but yes.
1: There are 21 bridges going into and out of Manhattan, Kevin, and you shut down every single one of them.
3: Right. Uh, there's only one Avenger we can trust. Yeah. I
1: mean... <laughs> oh, God, that was the tagline?
3: No, it's oh not. Boy, I thought that's the not the tagline. That would be that amazing. It it look at the poster. It's on the
2: poster. It doesn't, I think that
3: was
1: the tagline.
2: No, it doesn't I do, say I there's one on the Avenger poster. we can trust.
3: Yes, yes, it yes. does.
1: You're you're joking.
2: Yes. Look at the.
3: I'll, I'll get, keep talking. I'll pull it up. No, it. I does I, not th- I did say that. that. Kevin, do you
1: recommend it?
2: It's fine. I mean, it's very, it's very old school, like '90s, '80s type cop uh, dramas. In regards to you feel, I feel like I've seen the movie before, and the twenty one bridges aspect of it, I found to be frustrating because it's called that, but that becomes such a minute detail in the movie. You don't they? Don't even really kind of like they they shut the bridges down, but to me that wasn't even really what the movie was about. And it reminded me a lot of 16 Blocks a little bit as well with Bruce Willis and Most Deaf and just that idea of kind of that element. But Chadwick is good. The script is just not great, unfortunately. Um, I thought that the, the highlight of the film for me, and I told this to Chadwick Boseman, and I think this is a fascinating thing. Chadwick Boseman has been in two films recently where the villain of the movie has done horrible things yet there's a sympathetic element to the way Chadwick's character, who's the protagonist, is acting in a scene with the villainous character. So if you look at something like Killmonger in Black Panther, while the, the character had killed over 100 people, he had scars to prove it, you still care for Killmonger at the end of the movie when Killmonger quote-unquote dies, if you want to believe he's dead. Sure. Um, and there's something very similar to me about the relationship that he has with Stevon James in this film. And Stevon James's character, along with Taylor Kitsch, they are involved in a very uh, a very brutal scenario where a lot of police officers are killed. I can't believe it actually says that on the
3: poster. It's unreal to me. Um, it says in a city <laughs> on lockdown, he's the only Avenger they can count on. And, and I That's, guess the, uh,
2: to, for people who don't know, the Russo brothers did produce the movie, but that he, he, that, that tagline's interesting to me. Um, but the movie itself, as I mentioned, it, it, it's it's this Stefan James character who was yes involved in these in this uh, murder sequence, but. It's the question of how he got there, why he was there, and how involved he was. And I think that the, the movie really does a good job of building a relationship with Chadwick's character, trying to figure out why Stefan James was even involved in this in the first place. And that kind of builds an emotional arc there. That, to me, was what worked. Other than that, I don't, oh. I don't recommend it in a theater, but if you watched it like at home after it came out on, you know, on, on demand or whatever, I think you would go, that was entertaining. It was fine.
1: What about Frozen 2? I have not seen it.
2: I Meh.
3: I think i to let I'll let Jake Meh. take this for a second. Go ahead. Jake, you've seen it. You know, I, I actually read something interesting um, about it, which is that it is the Empire Strikes Back of the Frozen series. What? And, and 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 they say that in the sense that it's a little bit darker. Um it's it's less it's fine.
1: But no one would say it's fine about Empire Strikes Back.
3: I'm not. No, I'm not saying it's the Empire. Stri- I, I think it's it's it is darker. Here, here's what's interesting about it. Is it okay? Let's 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 be. It, it's a, it is a movie for kids, right? And there's no like proper structure or villain to it. Like there's it's it's more about like growing older and and growing apart, and it's more about like internal struggles. Which I I'm curious as to how that's going to play. With children, like, you know, right. the, like the the first film had a very definitive, like, here's who the bad guy is. Here's who's the person we need to beat. And this one is all about what's going on the inside, which like, you know, if you're you know, a 30 year old, you know, adult going to see this, you might find that sort of interesting that they took that direction. I can't I always like my, my test for success uh, when it comes to sequels and animated films Is if you're a child and you have both of these on DVD or on the Disney Plus app, and you have the choice between putting one or two on, no child's going to choose two over one. I just don't think they're going to. Interesting. I just don't. I just don't think it plays as simply as an animated movie needs to play. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I, I mean... But the song, the songs... I love the songs. The songs don't live up? I,
2: yeah, okay.
3: actually, yeah. I actually think the songs are, are, are quite yeah, good. Yeah, the songs oh, okay.
1: are amazing.
2: And I, and I think... I, I don't love Frozen 1. Um, I liked Frozen 1. I thought Frozen 1 had great songs. My problem with the Frozen films, and it happens again in the sequels, I think the story is secondary to the music. And I think that the music should be a powerful storytelling tool to use to enhance your story. But for me, when they break into song, I kind of, like, I like being stepped away from the story, because I don't think the stories are that interesting, unfortunately. Um, I think this one, even more so, and I've seen the movie twice, and this is not an exaggeration, I could not tell you what the plot of this film is. And I, and because to me, it is so overly convoluted and just... Unnecessary storytelling wise, but when they break into the like, there are moments in this film that are amazing. Olaf, Gad's Olaf is incredible. Um, there's a moment where he recaps Frozen One in 30 seconds, which I just thought was brilliant. Um, there's an 80s montage, which is very funny, that by Jonathan Groff, which is one of the best scenes in the movie. There are very good scenes in this film, and I think I saw it again the other night. And I saw it with a true Frozen fan, and she liked it more than Frozen 1. And this person's seen Frozen 1 <laughs> hundreds of times. Um, and you know, my wife and I went to the movie, and, 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 this, and this girl named Carmen and her mom went. And Carmen was a big Frozen fan. She loved the film. So I wonder if it's something that maybe I'm just missing. And I found it to be interesting because when I walked out of the film, I still felt the same way I did the first. time. I thought it was just fine. And she was blown away by it. So I think who was this movie made for was probably made for people who were obsessed with Frozen 1. And I was not, I didn't love Frozen 1. Um, But I want to highlight three of the songs in this one. Into the Unknown is amazing. Uh, show Yourself is Amazing, and then the next right thing, which is Kristen Bell, which I didn't realize she didn't have a solo in Frozen 1. She gets her first solo in this one, um, and her voice is incredible. Um, so I, here's the thing. <laughs>
1: hey, did she not sing Do You Want to Build a Snowman? That, she sings Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Who was
2: that with, though? Wasn't that with somebody else was in that song? Double check it, but this is her first official solo, but I, I'll double check that, but
1: a uh, Snowman, I think. I've she, seen Frozen once in my life, yeah. and I've, I've never, so again, it's the beauty of having boys. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to watch Frozen over and over. I'll tell
2: tell this to our audience. If you're a fan of Frozen 1, if your kids liked it, they're going to love Frozen 2. I mean, that's what it comes
3: down to. I don't. But do you think that, okay, uh, yeah, kids. I think your kids are going to like it. But in a year when they're both available, don't you think the kids are just going to keep. Like if you're a parent that's looking forward to Frozen 2 so your kid will stop watching Frozen 1, I don't (laughs) think you're going to get that. Because I think they're going to go right back to Frozen 1.
2: There's definitely songs it's in this also, one that are going to be Let It Go level. I think Into the Unknown is going to be a big track. Oh, no, um, Let I, It Go is a once-in-a-lifetime
3: thing, man.
1: Well, Let It Go is – yeah. It's also – yeah. It's interesting, too, that Disney didn't do sequels for the longest time. And I didn't think the Wreck-It Ralph sequel was better no. than the first movie. Uh, you guys are saying this about Frozen 2 now. Uh, maybe they should go back to that, tra- <laughs> that tradition well, um, because – it's it's something we talked about earlier in the episode don't go back to it unless you have story to tell right but you know? if you're don't Frozen don't say oh this was successful yeah was
2: Frozen 2 made because Frozen 1 made a billion dollars or was it made because they really had another story to
1: tell
3: that's also toys don't no. forget toys the first one oh that's so many so toys so many toys
1: oh uh, there's a fun. funny bit in the new Jumanji uh that won't make sense to anybody, so I won't mention it. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, How, where are you going with this? Like, Yeah, never Cool fine. story, bro. There's a really funny bit that I'll tell you guys after the show is over. Okay, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh. I'm going to go first, because I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority on this one. Um, this movie is just okay. Uh, and it should... Yeah, I know. Jake is horrified. Horrified. So am I. Uh, I and I'm starting to think you hate Tom Hanks. You hate Forrest Gump? Who are you? <laughs> no, it's nothing to do with... I do hate Forrest Gump. It's a terrible movie. Um, This movie is not—and Kevin and I have been having this conversation a lot uh, about uh, what your expectations are for a movie uh, versus what the movie ends up being. And I probably have to go back and revisit this because um, it's not the movie that they were telling me it was going to be. It's not, come see Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers— because it's so much more focused on Matthew Reese's character. It's it's a it's the story of this journalist who gets assigned the profile uh, of Fred Rogers. He doesn't want to do it. He's more of a hard hitting journalist. Um, and and if it were primarily focused on how these guys interacted, maybe I'd be more into it. But it gets into another story which didn't wrap me up, which is the guy's struggles with his father, played by Chris Cooper, who is very good in the film. I just wasn't as invested in their storyline. And I just, I don't know, I had issues with it. I, I didn't get past, like, to me, Tom Hanks always, it's always Tom Hanks. It's not Fred Rogers
3: Oh! I, oh. Think,
1: I think coming off of the documentary, it's hard to do a uh, narrative feature uh, when the documentary was so superior. I think some of it's really cute uh, where it goes back into the, um, the world of, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like seeing the recreations and, and seeing how he put the show together was fairly interesting to me. But it just didn't connect. And uh, it was really funny to come out of that because I was sitting right near Jake uh, in the Toronto um, world premiere that we saw it in. And I could tell he was just so moved by it. And I just felt like such a jerk. I'd just be like, eh, I didn't. I mean, mean. I,
3: I ugly cried, dude. I ugly cried hard. You
1: you were all in. So are you, have you seen it since? Is that the only time you've seen yeah. it? Did you get a chance to see it a
3: second time? Yeah, that's the only time I've seen it. Um, but it's, I okay. mean, you know, it's really, it's really held up uh, for me. It's, you know, I didn't really know what it was going to be going in. I don't think I realized just how, I don't want to say small of a part, hanks had but enough to justify i think him getting the supporting nomination over lead um you know it's it's a movie about how it's okay to be broken and that there's nothing wrong with that and you know we live in a world where, especially with social media and filters and, and 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 photo changing apps where you gotta sort of adjust who you are for the world and uh and and pretend that you're not you know that essentially pretend that you're okay and this is a movie about how like not only is it okay to be broken it's also okay to admit that you're broken and that that that's what makes you a normal person that's what makes you human um and and you telling that story through this essentially broken journalist and then having Mr. Rogers perhaps the only person on the planet who has a better reputation than Tom Hanks sort of convey that what I think is a very important message in 2019 uh, it, it, it hit me in all the right places man it, it, it hit me in the feels and I thought Tom Hanks was absolutely incredible. It's actually probably one of my favorite Tom Hanks performances. Um, it, this is This is a top what? five movie of the year for me. Um, I thought Matthew what? Reese <laughs> was uh, phenomenal, and I, I you know he he carries the weight of the movie on his shoulders. And I was also I got I, you know I, I've I've said this on the show a lot. I'm a sucker for a father son story, and I thought with with as good as Matthew Reese and Chris Cooper were. Um, the fact that, I mean, it, it's, it's like you had a movie that had like all of the boxes of like, what can we do to affect Jake? And it's like, talk about broken people, <laughs> talk about father, sons, talk, you like use Tom Hanks to tell these things. Like, like, you know, it's, it, it's as, it, it's like they had that list and then they're like, okay, make this movie. And, uh, and, yeah. and, it, and it worked and, and, and sure. Like Jake maybe, Hamilton yeah, bingo card. Maybe, maybe, it, yeah. And, and, and they, they nailed it, man. They, they got the bingo. So, uh, yeah, man, it worked That's for funny. Me. Yeah, Kevin, just as much for you. I love
2: the movie. Uh, It's funny because I actually I love the movie as much as as Jake did. But for the for completely different reasons, Um, I like that the film is not See, to me, Tom Hanks is and this is not this is meant to sound in a good way. I think his character is an afterthought in the film. Um, And I think the movie is more about Matthew Reese's storyline, Chris Cooper's storyline. It's. Basically an episode of, a, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in two hours. And if you and when you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, those episodes really aren't about him. They're about whatever topic he's discussing on the show that day, sure. right? So to me, it was... Heavy topics, right. too.
1: Heavy but, topics for kids.
2: Right, but Tom Hanks, to me, his Mr. Rogers is, is a character that is ma- supposed to make us feel comfortable and get us into a setting of watching an episode of the show... And then the real story takes over, which is Matthew Reese and Chris Cooper's relationship. And that, to me, was what what struck me really, really hard about this film. I I think that the emotional element... Matthew Reese's performance is one of the best performances I've seen this year. And I know the acting race is way too heavy um, to have his name included. But him and Chris Cooper, there is just something special about watching those two perform together. And the beauty of what Tom Hanks does with... Mr. Rogers is, he's not in the film a ton, but even when he's not there, it's Mr. Rogers' presence that you feel throughout the film. You feel that good-natured, um, real element of who Mr. Rogers was, but also the broken nature that Jake talks about. We we peek into a little bit about the broken elements of Mr. Rogers' life and, and, his, and his life with his children. And to me, that's what made the film so special is they didn't go into a ton of exposition. It was We learned about Mr. Rogers' faults and, and imperfections through the imperfections of Matthew Reese's character. And I always find that to be a more interesting way to tell a story is if we're learning about a character while talking to another character. We're not explicitly coming out and going, I'm broken too. Here's what's going on. It comes up in very natural conversation. So I I found the film to be an absolute delightful film, but also a very emotional film. Um, People going into it, it's not a Mr. Rogers movie. If you're expecting a Mr. Rogers movie, you're not going to be getting that. It is, if you just imagine a two-hour version of his show, the movie opens like the show opens. And it's very well done and very well executed. Um, So I, I loved it. I was very, very happy with it. but. To me, what st- stuck stuck with me was was Matthew Reese and Chris Cooper. They blew my mind. Mm,
1: I didn't. I didn't love. I didn't love the frame story of putting it in an episode. I sometimes I it. thought it was weird. Loved it. I think you're weird. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I thought it was weird. Like when they go to New York and it shows like a tiny little plane I flying into the like I a like that. Fake New it was York. Cool. I don't know. It's kind of. But lame. you
3: like Endgame?
1: <laughs> oh, Endgame's amazing. What? <laughs> How is that
3: connected? I don't
1: know. <laughs> I, I was just trying to like. I was just trying to
3: like like needle you a little bit. That's just not even
1: funny. <laughs> All right, so those two guys highly recommend "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood." So good. I would tell you to go watch the documentary. Kevin, uh, does um, it have a
2: shot at your top ten? I don't know. My top ten has been obliterated the past like yeah, couple dude. Weeks. I, like, I
1: feel like I've got like twenty movies on my top
2: ten. <laughs> like I had like top. I was confident "Doctor Sleep" was gonna make it, "Neighborhood" was gonna make it, um, "Ford vs Ferrari," and like I, and like I'm just uh, my top ten is destroyed right now. My, I do have a new number one and number two I mentioned last week, but. Right now, my top, I don't even know where... I, there, it's almost overwhelming. And I, I, I love... I want us everyone listening to this episode right now to go back, and I've said this before, and find the episode we recorded in London where we were doing our top five of the year at the moment. And listen to the, the way we have that conversation prior to all these films we've seen since then. It was... It was... Harder, it was harder then than it is now, but now it's
3: getting to yeah. a point where it's actually as hard as it was then to pick my top 10, but because there's too many, and we still have big like I'm seeing, uh, I know you guys have seen already, I'm seeing Uncut Gems tonight. Uh, yes. we I'm seeing 1917 and Bombshell on Monday. Um, I just I just got my Bombshell invite. Oh, I just got my screener for the two is pokes. Amazing. Like, we've we've you know, we've still got Star Wars. Like, if 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 I had to make my top 10 list right now, it would be difficult, and we still have. What five or six potential contenders left to see? Not just like movies. Oh, I need to see before the end of the year. Potential contenders to get on. Like like nineteen seventeen for me is a contender. Like a Roger yeah. Deakins shot Sam Mendes war movie. Absolutely, that's a contender for me. S- Skywalker. I, I, I hope Star Wars is a contender for me. What if Skywalker blows us all away?
2: I mean, I got, And you'll hear this in the Ryan Johnson interview next week. But JJ came out recently in a great interview where he said that. Essentially, he admired the risks that Ryan took on eight, which allowed him to be more risky on nine because he kind of essentially admits in so many words that seven was a safe way to remake for reboot, you know, uh, episode four. And it was to me, I'm now that much more curious because I still cannot comprehend the idea that before seven, there was no plan from what we know of laid out. Of where 7 was going to go, 8 was going to go, and 9 was going to go. And Ryan in the podcast says he has absolutely no clue where nine's going. And I find that to be mind-blowing. That 8... I don't believe him. 8 is such a... You don't? 8 is so... It changes everything that happened in 7. How is nine He has to know where some of it's work? Going? How is nine? So, I mean, nah. but, but based on that, I know we're wrapping up. We'll go on to our our, our uh, blend game. But I do want to say that based on that quote from JJ, I am now way more excited about nine. And like now I'm wondering, yeah. I want to revisit eight. I've only seen uh, eight once because I was so disappointed by a lot of it. Uh, I know. I know. Gabe's saying, I know. But I mean, I only saw it once because it, it was not, it was not, a, it was a disappointment for me. But I don't like it either, dude. I will say this, and then we'll move on. I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. And that happened to me recently with my number one of the year. I loved the film, but, it's, but I went in to that movie wanting the movie that I wanted that filmmaker to make. And when I saw it the Is third— Is it Hollywood? And, I'll say it. It's Hollywood now. But when I Hot saw— damn! When I saw Hollywood third and fourth time, that's when I finally let my, my mind go— and said what is the movie Quentin wanted to make so the question now is if I go back to Jedi which I will prior to 9 I'm going to sit back and go put all my expectations aside what is the movie Ryan's making not the movie Kevin wanted Ryan to make you know what I mean? So I'm wondering how different Jedi is going to play for me. So I'm going to I'm going to watch it again.
1: Good. Let's uh. We should live tweet it.
2: You know what? Honestly, we should, all, I... should, we, should we all do it together? We should all do it together. Yeah, that'd be fun. Why not? Right? Because because Gabe and Sean that's kind of a fun idea. Gabe and Sean love Jedi. Jake and I do not. Gabe is saying wrap it up, but he's also he's giving like, a thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah. <laughs> so he likes
1: the idea, but well, he's like but move stop on. talking yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this week's blend game, a fun one, um, and I think is going to create a lot of debate because um, what is a musical? What defines what a musical is? Uh, I saw a lot of choices from people uh, on social media who played along using the hashtag musical blend, and I'm going to yell at most of those people and tell them things you chose are not really a musical.
3: There's a difference Um, between a movie with music or about music and a movie that's a musical. Street. It's not a musical. Exactly. Correct. Bohemian Rhapsody is not a musical. Not a musical. It,
2: it, what, Rocket Man is a musical. It is and, a and, musical. And, yes. Yeah, so the, 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 the exact way to put it, I'm sure Sean will elaborate too, is if the music in the film is being done in a concert type way where people in the audience are legitimately listening to it, like a Bohemian Rhapsody, that's not a musical.
3: Not but a musical. When they break or an argument, in, no. if the characters know they're singing – it's right. Not a yeah.
2: If they break into song right. randomly, like they do in Rocket Man or even Frozen. See, I bet you there's a gray area we're missing here. that Someone's going to say, "Oh, you're this is kind of wrong." But the way I look at a mu- Bohemian Rhapsody is not a musical, and I don't understand how anybody could call no, it a, a musical, musical. But Rocket Man. Definitely well, I can't.
1: Is. I Carrie Ellen Case, who listens to the show um, on the regular, asked about Almost Famous. Not a musical. Not a musical. Not, I'm sorry. It's a, a movie it's about a music, music. Driven by mute by music for sure. I would have, I asked Gabe this just to see if i get away with it. I would have made an argument, um, could I include That Thing You Do?
2: Not, a, not musical. a musical. It's not a
1: musical. I can't, in good conscience, do it. And so, I'll go first. I've been told I get to go first. That Thing
2: You Do is so I, good, by the way. It's such a good a movie. movie. Oh. It's, it's the best. Oh, we got to read Gabe's text here. <laughs> Gabe funny. did make a clarification. Yeah, I just read the it. The Sound of Music. Go ahead, go ahead. The, the Sound of Music, is, and they know they're singing in the Sound of Music, So that's kind of the musical. Is that an
1: exception? Mm. Yeah, that's an accept. That is totally a musical. Okay. Oh, Mary Poppins. Like, Mary Poppins, like, she's singing with them. I think Mary Poppins is a musical.
2: Mary Poppins is a musical, but don't they? Oh, my God, yeah, I so tired you're saying. of this
1: conversation. No, this is actually a legitimate all right. conversation. I see it. I see it, Gabe. I see it. I see it. All right, I've been told that I'm supposed to count down from three, two, one, and we're all supposed to give our collective answer.
3: Does that mean we all collectively have the same answer? Wait, we all pick the same <laughs> one? <laughs> three, two. One Dunkirk. La La Land. Moonlight. <laughs> what? <laughs> what?
2: The show's not over? We can't do anything right. <laughs> Wait, did we all go with La La Land? This for real? Show,
1: this show is such a failure. Uh, <laughs> yes, I had to. I had
3: yeah, to. I agree. It's my favorite. It's my, you know, and I think I tried not to. Yes, I did too. I, I, I had a as different one. as I looked one. over. Uh, okay, well,
1: okay. How about that? We can all celebrate, and if you've listened to this show at all, especially early on, you know that all three of us are huge fans of Damien Chazelle. Uh, he is getting at least um, consideration for Rushmore inclusion. Like when we were talking about like the directors of Real Blend,
3: Jake, don't make there that are face. Four are faces on Rushmore.
1: Four. You always get so hung up on the fact that there are four. Why can't he be one of the four? You love First Man.
3: Love it. Okay. You love it more than I do. Scorsese, Spielberg, and Tarantino take up three. Do they? Yes, they do. And Nolan. I'm (laughs) sorry. Which one of those are you going to tell they don't belong on Mount Rushmore? I agree
2: with Jake. And here's the thing. First Man and La La Land were phenomenal films. I, I... it's funny because I would even We're argue that Ryan Rushmore, I would argue maybe. that Ryan Johnson Whiplash. is as good of a filmmaker as Damien Chazelle because Ryan had Stop Looper and it. Brick. Stop it. the point being though is that there is no way yeah. in any way shape or form you would put him on your top four if you actually made a Mount Rushmore no. physically of your favorite fine, director. Fine, 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 fine. No we not doing Rushmore oh, Glenn
3: oh, right now. so, so Kevin We're explains it long. and it makes logical sense. Jake <laughs> right. does it and he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no one said that. Now we have the E. Jake, children are listening. <laughs> no, we had the E because of Ryan Johnson, so it's okay. So joke's on you. That's next week oh, with no. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh no. Did she curse? Wait, does Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Did she swear? I Kevin, think so. Does she swear?
2: I think she cursed yes. in the interview. All right. Yeah. Well,
1: Jamie Lee Curtis for the Tambue win. Damn you Jamie Lee Curtis? Damn you. <laughs> Jamie E Curtis. Oh, <laughs> That's good. Ah, yes. That was actually good. All right. Um I think we've all sort of gushed about. It. It's hard not to talk about La La Land. I mean, it's it's contemporary, but it feels old. The music is incredible. It caught me up in, immediately from the opening number, which is staged incredibly but I mean, people like sleep on how amazing the choreography is in that movie yeah.
3: just just and the
1: opening scene alone is unbelievable and now it became it's come down to like Oh yeah, that's right. He shut down an off-ramp, you know, to stage a musical number in Los Angeles traffic. He shut down an off-ramp <laughs> to stage a musical number. I mean, it's a, it's mind-blowing how and of course the leads are perfect. You know, I think the two of them together are, are so great and um the I, to me there's not a bad scene in that movie. Jake, I'm like you in that I didn't want to pick it. Um it feels like too easy of a pick. Uh so I had a second choice. Do either of you guys have a second choice? I just went and picked
3: one. I just I went do. And picked a second choice.
1: Mine was Grease. I oh, love okay. Grease. It's a great one. I loved. The, I like the fact that Grease it has a rock element to it. Like you hear musical and it's like song and dance orchestra, you know, sound of music type thing or um, singing in the rain. And Grease was one of the, I mean, I was pretty young when I saw it too. And I was like, oh, like musicals can be really cool. Like they can have, they can have a rock element to it. The people in it can look kind of cool for the time, had that sort of 50s, 60s element to it. Uh, I would have picked Greece if I didn't pick La, La and That would have been my second choice.
3: Um, I think I would have gone with Moulin Rouge. Oh, that's a great one. Um, a, it, I mean, it, it makes you listen to songs that you know differently. It's It's both something I've never seen before, but also like, you're like, oh, I... Kind of know this music a little bit. It, it 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 it's it's playing from two different sides of the field, but it works together very well. And uh, and that is a movie. That is a director's movie. That is Baz Luhrmann's vision. Um, and uh, and and the, the leads are, are incredible. And uh, if you know, it's a movie that you know that like a, a good musical kind of feels like a little bit like a like a cinematic warm blanket where you could kind of just pull it up at any moment and you're, and you're good to go and just kind of kick back and, and relax and chill for two hours. And if, you know, if I didn't have things to do tonight, I could turn it on right now and watch it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kevin, that's Lauren's favorite movie. That It's one movie of her time. favorite
2: movies ever. And she's seen the Broadway show. Um, one thing about La La Land before I give you my second choice, um, Jake made a comment earlier about like how beautiful day in the neighborhood kind of checked off a lot of boxes for him of things he likes. Um, La, La Land was that for me because it was, one, it was shot on 35mm film. Two, it had one of the most incredible tracking shots in the beginning, the one that Sean's referring to. Um, three, it's a movie about movies. There's, there, there's a love of filmmaking in that film. That movie hit everything for me, and the songs were so brilliant. Um, but it was shot, Lena Sangren's cinematography is just so masterful uh, and, and the, the cinematography itself sings along with the music and that's the beauty of that marriage of 30 like that 35 mil and people i, I understand we can have digital and 35 millimeter discussions and uh, we get into a, a interesting one with ryan johnson uh next week but it is there's something old school about what damien did there i think damien chazelle was probably born in the wrong time period i feel like he would have been a great, I think he would have been like a great filmmaker in the 50s and 60s or 40s. even He's still great now, but that guy is like an old soul, right? I feel like La La Land is coming from a very unique, passionate place about how old movies were made, Um, which I can say the same thing about Ford vs. Ferrari. I mean, these movies are hand-built. They feel old school. They feel legitimately passion. You can feel the passion of the filmmaker racing through that screen. I mean, and, and, and truly to me, that's why La La Land worked so well because it wasn't just the music; it was the performances. Ryan Gosling is not the strongest singer on the planet. It's the character he plays and the way he bounces off of Emma Stone, and just the just the beauty of that movie, the light of it. The the I don't know. I just, I love that film. My second choice. It's great, it's tremendous. Uh, Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd so much. It's one of my favorite. Uh, it's probably my favorite Tim Burton movie outside of Edward Scissorhands, and I think it's. I loved the music, I loved the characters, I loved the tone, I loved the way it looked. I loved Helena Bonham Carter, I loved Johnny Depp in that movie. Um, the, that I had not seen or heard the Sweeney Todd music prior to seeing that film. Uh, and it was just I don't know, the gothic nature of it. There's a it's almost like a Sleepy Hollow movie with music in it. In the sense of just the way it looks. It's I loved that Burton style. That 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 gothic like almost, I know he didn't direct From Hell, but like the, those very like similar like gothic type movies. I think From Hell. Who was that? Was it the, the Hughes, Hughes the brothers? Hughes brothers. Yeah, Hughes
1: brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Albert. And, but it might as well has been a. Tim it
2: Burton was very Burton esque, but um, but Sweetie Todd to me was just. I, was always, I always found it to be terrifying and also somewhat beautiful. Um, I always just like, anytime anyone would get in his chair and he would have that blade near them, it was <laughs> very, bless you. It was very, very intense, um, but it was also just gorgeously choreographed and beautiful singing and beautiful writing.
3: Um, I, isn't isn't that Sondheim? Isn't Sondheim do? Is that? Yeah. Am, am I wrong? On yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I, I, it's an interesting. I, I really do like that movie, but I think I like it more of a, as a movie than a musical interesting. because the the operatic. Tone of the music, like I, I, the the music does nothing for me. Like whenever they come, whenever it's time for them to start singing, I almost want to get through the song. So uh, see, like that song does nothing for me. So I kind of want to like get through all of their. You're only making it worse. I, I just so. I don't know, Charlotte How do you feel about Sweeney Todd? (laughs) I love Sweeney Todd,
0: man.
1: Um, I think that Johnny Depp is not a good singer. Um, Neither is Ryan Gosling. Just sound kind of flat and thin. No, I know. Um, I like the Sweeney Todd music. I didn't. I, and I and I like the the aesthetic of Burton, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't get to. And I am aware of how out of tune I'm glad Kevin likes it. Yeah. No, you sound fantastic, DDK. <laughs> We're gonna sing this at the at the 100. Can show. we? We're gonna Just take can, out an acoustic guitar. Can Jade do a solo? We're be. the Sweeney Todd soundtrack from start to finish. All right, audience picks. Arthur Mingo also chooses Sweeney Todd, the Demon really? Barber of Fleet Street. Yes, thank you, Arthur. John John Ratzenberger uh, says, uh, "If the Blues Brothers count as counts as a musical, it's his pick." Well, John, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. But, right? Am I wrong? No, Blues no Brothers? It not. not a musical? It's, not a, musical. it's not, not a musical. No. All right, you Sue, Zach Peters, and others chose La La Land, and Kelly Ray chose Moana. Now, Moana counts. The yeah. Disney musicals Disney, count, yeah. right? Like the, does yeah. would
3: um wait? I have a question. Would um yes, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory count? I don't think so. Why?
1: It's not. It's not. Mm, wait, what songs are in there? There's not a lot of songs. Uh, uh, oh the yeah, no, it does, song, no. I take it back. The Umphalupa song,
3: yeah. the imagination song, the song that the Umphalupa sing. There, it's endless. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep going.
1: <laughs> that was really funny. See, your puns suck, but that was really funny. <laughs> All right. Next week, uh, reach out on Twitter using, in honor of the awesome Knives Out movie, we're going to play hashtag Murder Mystery Blend. Oh.
5: You're going to pick
1: your favorite murder Dude. mystery movie, uh, and you can let us know your pick via social media at Real Blend, uh, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D. I spell it out as if people need to know what it is after 93 episodes. Or you can email us at... Um, and we have some for people who uh, who do actually now use the email to let us know. And they're usually they're ooh, coming from Ooh, ooh all I have the a pitch.
3: We oh, should play, yes. we, we should do like a like a murder mystery dinner where like Gabe ends up dead and <laughs> have to figure out which one of us killed him.
0: That,
3: that's just mean. <laughs> but like I feel like it could be fun because like I feel like our audience could like have different um Reasons that the three of us would want to kill Gabe. It's like rope. If Gabe
1: actually existed, right? If Gabe actually existed. Hey, Sean. Uh, let's see. Sean,
2: I was just yes. curious if you saw the article recently about Ryan Johnson's favorite <laughs> book from the year 1950. <laughs> Wow, Jesus! Wow, uh, that,
0: is a, that is a deep dive. I'm I'm
2: old, Kevin, but I wasn't around Gabe's in 1950. We, Gabe's losing it.
1: <laughs> Does Gabe know it? Does he know what it is? Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's 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 got to be to kill the mockingbird. Is it something to kill the mockingbird. Uh,
2: I don't know what Ryan is it. Ryan Johnson's favorite book from the year 1950 is Chronicles of Narnia: The Ryan, the Witch, and the Wardrobe.
3: <laughs> we're almost 100 episodes in And I cannot figure out what makes you guys laugh And what doesn't I really, I really can't
1: Alright, we're saving the user reviews For the ends of the show now And Corey Holland uh, Wrote us a wonderful review That we want to read here uh, Corey writes I listen to a lot of podcasts most of which specialize in long-form conversations with actors and filmmakers, Happy, Sad, Confused, WTF, Armchair Expert, Idiot, (laughs) Inside of You, Life is Short, Unqualified, and many, many more. I discovered Real Blend very late one night after watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and searching for a Tarantino conversation for the ride home. Very quickly, episode after episode, I found myself loving this podcast. The difference between Real Blend and the other shows mentioned above, those shows are guest dependent on my listen. With Real Blend, however, I listen to every single episode, regardless of the guest, the moment it's uploaded cool. and available to consume. The hosts, that is very cool. I love that. The hosts are obviously lovers of film, each one having slightly different tastes and preferences. Each episode feels like a friendly chat, debate about great films with friends who love the medium as much as I do and with the guests they always cut to the chase and ask the behind the scenes questions that we all want to know and do so because they are they are unabashed fans themselves they even do this <laughs> they even do this hilarious bit every episode where they constantly give shit to an imaginary fourth host <laughs> they call Gabe. <laughs> blaming him for topic delays <laughs> Time constraints and production (laughs) specs. I find myself laughing out loud at times. The entire show is quite engaging, super entertaining, and an absolute must listen for every real film lover. Spelled R E E L. See what I did there? Uh, And for the love of all things Tarantino, can we find a compromise, guys? Kill Bill. Is two films, one story Something Tarantino himself would concede to Not to be confused with sequels that are a continuation of the characters And world yet different stories for each installment I'm certain one of you would have thrown that wrench LOL Hashtag Gerald's Game Boy (laughs) Hashtag Dunkirk Hashtag Not Nolan's Best (laughs) Hashtag This Is Not Kevin's Mom Boy, that's a lot That is a review Wow, well done I'm giving well a round of applause to that review. That was fantastic. I love the imaginary game. <laughs> Could you imagine really if we did funny. 93 imagine episodes? If that was, a that bit. was true. That yeah. no, was
2: true. Like, like we, we, we really created a fake producer. How funny yes. would that be?
1: Like if before we recorded our first episode, we were like, okay, guys, the way that we're gonna make this show <laughs> stick is if we invent an imaginary producer that we yell at all the time. So um you guys wanna meet Gabe? Come to our DC meetup. Gabe is going to be there, and he may even talk to you. Uh, You got to come sign up, though. You got to let us know if you're coming so that we can um, plan for the space that we're going to have we uh, we are solidifying details for some of the things that we want to do. It's shaping up really really cool. I have some news I'm going to break to the guys as soon as the episode is over. Uh, something really cool that happened. Um, and you in order to RSVP for the show, you can go to this website. I plugged it at the beginning of the show. I'm going to plug it one more against at the end. bit.ly/ Forward slash real blend DC. We'll also have it on our social media. Uh, the meetup is going to be January fourth. It's Saturday, January fourth, uh, so you can ring in the new year with the guys from Real Blend as we get ready to celebrate our one hundredth episode of a show that was just supposed to be um, for a couple of weeks and talk about the Oscars for a little bit. So, uh, if you don't know yet by now, follow us on social media. We're at Real Blend. Uh, the boys are at at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Drop us a review. You guys know how much we appreciate that. We will read it at the end of the show. And next week, we're going to continue the love for Knives Out with our interview with Ryan Johnson. That will be uh, episode number 94? Is that four? Four? Thank you very much. So um, we'll be back then with a full-on show. And until then, Kevin? Dunkirk!